Hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 605, and today I am excited because I invited on a very, very successful uh, guy here who's uh, also very successful at teaching people how to create their own habits. His name is James Clear, and you might have heard of him before. If not, jamesclear.com will tell you all about him. He is fantastic when it comes to developing success habits, and he's written a book about it called Atomic Habits. I own it. That's actually why I reached out to him, and I said, you know what? It's a long shot, but I'm going to go ahead and reach out to him and see if I can get him on the podcast so I can ask him some direct questions about habits and how that can apply to us, uh, you know, us e-commerce, you know, business owners and just business owners in general and how to how to go out there and create these success habits. So he's agreed. He's came on. I've already interviewed him. You guys are going to love it. And uh, we are going to talk about mindset, self-doubt, like how to how to keep uh, a habit and not just develop one for the short term, how to get back on when we fall off, like all of those things that we've all faced in life. But this is really powerful. I've listened to his book. I you guys know I'm not much of a reader. I do own the book, though. I have it on my bookshelf. As a reminder, I usually get books to put on my bookshelf, and then from there, it'll remind me to listen to the audiobook. So it costs me double, but I don't really care because they're so valuable. And this one here, the one thing that he said, and we'll talk about it a little bit, is like when you create your self-identity, like if you are now saying to yourself and others that you are a successful e-commerce you know, business, you start to live up to that. You start to develop habits so you achieve that. So when he said that in the book, like you need to create your identity of who you are and then you need to believe in that and then you need to start creating the habits around that. And he breaks it down a lot better than I just did, but that really stuck with me. And, um, and it's so true. If you are you know, the person that you wanna be, then you need to develop those habits to support that. And it makes a lot of sense. So I think you're going to get a ton out of this. All right. So before we jump into this amazing interview, I did want to remind you something that is going to be closing here soon. And that is uh, TAS Breakthrough U, depending on when you're listening to this, I recently opened it up, which I've never done before to the public. So this way here, if you just wanted to join to be part of our monthly uh, private calls, and if you wanted to be part, you know, take part of some of our trainings, you could, but I've never done it this way. I've always done it where you invest in one of our trainings and then we have that as something you can add on. But I've recently done it where you can just join. I've, I've opened up enrollment. You can join, but I'm going to be closing that on the 20th. I'm not going to be reopening it that way, at least in the, in the near future. But what I am going to be doing is working on a brand new training, which is going to take the, the, uh, the place of private label classroom, which you guys have probably heard me talk a lot about. And the reason why I'm doing this is because things have changed, not in the sense that private label classroom isn't still really great. It is. You could go and go through that training and you could launch your product on Amazon. But what we're doing here is we're going to be building our e-commerce business, not just our Amazon business, all right? And we're going to talk about how to go out there and find that market and how to really take over that market and own that market and then how to diversify all of those things I'm going to be doing in a brand new, I'm going to be covering in a brand new training. And I'm not going to reveal the name as of yet, but I'm going to be doing a beta class and everyone that's in TAS Breakthrough U is going to be able to go through that, that beta class. When I do open it up, to the public as a beta even, this is going to retail between 1,500 and 2,000 is, is, uh, is the investment that it'll be to be part of that. But if you join TAS Breakthrough U by December 20th, 
you will be part of that beta. So you won't pay that. And you'll get everything else that's included in TAS Breakthrough You. All right. So if you're interested, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash training for all the details. I shot a video there actually explaining it in a little bit more detail. Check it out. If you think that it will benefit you and it'll help you moving into 2019, then come along for the ride. And I would love to help build your future-proof business with you uh, in 2019 and beyond. All right, so theamazingseller.com forward slash training. That will be open until December 20th. So uh, definitely head on over there and check that out. All right, guys, I'm gonna stop talking so you can enjoy this interview and start to develop these atomic success habits. All right, so sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with my friend, James Clear. Hey, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How you doing, man? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're, we're right around the holidays. So um, interesting. You know, uh, we're, we're probably both busy. Are you spending uh, time home? Or are you guys traveling? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be traveling to my parents, but uh, they don't live too far away. So it should be. Oh, OK, that's nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, the reason why I wanted to get you on, obviously you have a new book out. I've been following your work for a while. Um, jamesclear.com, you know, done some really great stuff. And I got to be honest, I, I read the very first part of your book and it related to me so much because we both like baseball. Um, we both got hit in the face with a baseball bat. <laughs> um, my nose didn't get shattered, but my tooth did. My actually, my tooth got knocked out of my mouth. I was, I think it was 13 and we were playing, um, we were playing pickup in the yard and my buddy swung the bat and I was catching and he threw the bat back, hit my face. My babysitter was looking for my tooth. She actually picked up my tooth and put it back down because she didn't think it was a tooth. It was literally the roots and everything. And so, uh, yeah, and then they actually took the tooth. They stuffed it back in my, in my mouth. And then they said, well, we'll see if it takes. It's been about, oh gosh, it's been over 30 years. And it's still in my head. So it's not, it's not the best color, but it's, you know, it, it'll do. Um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> wow. it was crazy. Well, that's a, uh, a strange connection to have. So uh, I'm glad oh, all right. Yeah. When I heard that, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, everything through baseball. I mean, you led, you know, everybody through your story and through baseball and then how that kind of got you into the habits and, and all of that stuff. And it's, it's funny. I, I've got a 20 year old son who I've, I've taken from T-ball all the way up through travel baseball. So we've done the whole circuit and, I played up till high school and then um, I didn't go to college, so I didn't play college ball. Um, but uh, big fan of it. What's your baseball team, by the way? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Cincinnati, so I always want the Reds to do well. But um, I grew up in the mid 90s when the Indians were doing really well and they okay. had Manny Ramirez and Omar Vizquel sure. and Oliver sure. and all those guys. And so uh, okay. I was a huge Indians fan as a kid. Uh, okay. And, uh, and still um, enjoy cheering for them. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so, and so do you follow it pretty closely? You're still pretty much a baseball guy. You know, what's funny is I follow other sports much more closely than baseball. Which is that? Which I, ones? What's that? Wh which ones? Um, so I'm a huge Ohio state football fan. Oh, uh, we are too. Cool. Um, okay. and then, uh, um, I really like the NBA. I think the NBA is the most fun professional league right now. Yeah, I like um, the NBA, yeah. And uh, anyway, so obviously when LeBron was in Cleveland, like those last four years have been a lot of fun. Mm. Um, and uh, anyway, so so yeah, I enjoy following those sports more. Um, baseball is funny because I would like go to practice and be out there for like three hours. And then I come back and some of my teammates would turn, you know, the game on for whatever their particular team was. And I, yeah. was, like, I was just at the field for three hours. Like, I don't want to watch now. Like I, you know, I got other stuff I got to do. So um <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I loved it. And baseball plays a very uh, 
key part in my story. Um, mm. And, uh, um, you know, obviously the book is, is I, it's not a, a book about me, um, mm. but the introduction is about my story. And, mm. um, and uh, anyway, yeah. So I, I thought, I thought the intro was great, by the way. I, I, you know, I read, I read books. I do a lot of audio books. I'm more of an audio guy than I am a, a reader. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your story right out of the gate kind of got my attention obviously because it was very similar to my story. Um, but, um, I seen how you led people from like that, you know, that time in your life, you could have given up and then you started to kind of develop these habits. And then that's where you got like, kind of like obsessed with like learning about, you know, that. And I think that's interesting to see how people kind of get led through their story to what they're doing now. And I mean, you never, like you said in your book, you never thought you were going to be like, teaching people about habits and stuff. Yeah. I didn't have a language for it at the time. Right. Like I was yeah. just doing it, you know, you just show up in practice and you try to get a little better each day. Like I never would have said, Oh, I'm just trying to get 1% better or I'm just trying to build, you know, like better habits or whatever like that. Right. That wasn't part of my language until years later when I was kind of connecting the dots um, and working and writing about this stuff for the last five or six years. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that was where I practiced the ideas. And I think mm-hmm. that background or that backbone of like um, implicit knowledge and having to put the ideas to work in the real world uh, yeah. has been an important part of my story. Like I, you know, it's a lot of work to have a good opinion on something. You need to be well-researched and well-written and so on. But at the end of the day, anybody can have an opinion. And where the rubber really meets the road is, can you apply these ideas in daily mm-hmm. life? And that was one of the core things that I wanted to get at and build with it from when I wrote Atomic Habits is, mm-hmm. I feel like people need a framework that they can apply in the real world, that they can apply in life and work. And mm-hmm. uh, my hope is that the book was able to achieve that. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And uh, like I said, I think that's a book you're probably going to go back and you're going to want to even just go back and just dig into a few chapters. Um, the Compound Effect, I've read that book by Darren Hardy. I love that book. And that's one that I kind of go back and I just kind of, if I need a little boost or I need a little refresher, I'll just go through and blast through a few chapters. And it gets me to say, oh yeah, that's right. It's it's simple, just small things, right? Like just do them over and over again. Um, cool. So yeah, what I want to do though, is I really want to dig into because I mean, I have my philosophies on it. And I just want to hear from you that's done a lot of research in this. Like, I want to go into people in business in general, like so many people, they're like, Scott, I come to the podcast, I listen to your podcast, I, I, I read, you know, some of your stuff, or I watch some of your videos. And it's awesome, your energy's there. But it's just for some reason, I don't feel like I can be successful. Like, I don't feel like I, I whenever I start something, I don't finish it. Or I, I you know, I don't believe in myself. Like, I kind of want to dive into like maybe the mindset piece of why people don't become successful. Is it just because they're not born to be successful? Or do you feel like a lot of it does have to come down to just like sticking to the plan or creating those, those habits and then not worrying about the result right away? Like, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, that question, why or how do people become successful is a massive question with a yeah. lot of different answers. And we, I mean, when we'll spend a few minutes here talking about it, um, but I mean, you know, this is something we could talk about for literally for days or weeks, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, just first of all, before I get into what I think is the practical answer or the useful yeah. answer, sure. um, certainly there are factors outside of your control, like luck and randomness that definitely plays a, an impact. Um I wrote an article called uh, Absolute Success is Luck, Relative Success is Hard Work. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the core ideas there is that if you're comparing yourself in an absolute sense to uh, the rest of the globe, like what is the difference between you and someone who was born in a slum in India, then that's mostly luck. 
Um, But if you compare yourself in a relative sense, what is the difference between your outcomes and everybody you went to high school with or everybody who went to the same school as you or lives in the same neighborhood or Mm. uh, has similar levels of education or grew up in a similar type of household or was raised in a similar religion and so on. The more similar the comparison becomes, the more relative it becomes, your success is determined by hard work because the levels of luck and randomness experienced by you uh, are similar to the people who had similar backgrounds and experiences. So now oftentimes when we compare ourselves, when we do this all the time, even though we know that maybe we should not compare as often as we do, hmm. um, it's a relative equation. We're not, hmm. we're thinking about how come, you know, the person down the street gets X and I get Y. Um, so luck definitely plays a role. I think the more global your comparison becomes, the more luck plays a role and the more local uh, your comparison becomes, the more it's about hard work. Um, the second factor is genetics. And you said like, you know, are some people just destined to not be successful or whatever, don't have it in them. And I think we all know that like genes matter. Um, it's very obvious in physical places, you know, like, I mean, LeBron is a better basketball player than me. I could work equally as hard as him, mm. but his ceiling is so much higher that if he pr- puts in even anywhere similar to the amount of work that I would put in, he's going to be massively beyond me. Mm. Um, and we have less information uh, about how genes influence psychological characteristics, but it's definitely still there. Um, mm. So anyway, that's just kind of a precursor to say what I'm about to say, which I think is the useful answer, is not the whole picture. There are definitely other factors. But your question was more about mindset, Mm. more about approaching this problem of, you know, it seems like every time I start something, I fail. seems like I can't fall through on the business projects that are important to me. And um, that, I think, is a little bit of a... a consequence or a side effect of your identity, of your beliefs, your self-image, the way you okay. look at yourself. Yeah. And identity, and this is where the, the useful answer comes in, is shaped, at least in part, by your habits. So in many ways, your habits are how you embody a particular identity. So mm-hmm. like every time you make your bed, you embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. Or whenever you go to the gym, you embody the identity of someone who is fit. Or each day that you make a sales call for your business, you embody the identity of someone who sells. Um, Mm. And doing it once is not going to radically transform how you look at yourself. But it's kind of like every action you take is a vote for the type of person that you believe that you are. Mm -hmm. And as you do these little actions, perform these little habits, it's like casting a vote for that type of person. And Mm. you build up a little bit of evidence of having that identity. And I think that this is actually like a key point And one of the things that differentiates my philosophy, and I I talk more about this link between habits and identity in chapter two of Atomic Habits, but one of the things that I feel like differentiates my philosophy from other things like fake it till you make it Hmm. is that fake it till you make it asks yourself to believe something without having evidence for it. You like you start with the belief and then later um, you hope things will change. But we have a word for beliefs that don't have evidence. We call it delusion right? Like at some point, your brain doesn't like this mismatch, you're trying to convince yourself of something. And so I think the most useful way to change your self confidence, your self image to upgrade and expand your identity to shift away from believing, whenever I start something, I don't follow through to a new belief of I'm a finisher, or I'm the type of person that gets things done. The easiest way or the best lever that we have for doing that is by changing your habits in a small way. 
by casting mm. those little votes for a new type of identity. Because if you do that, and this is what's different than fake it till you make it, you actually have evidence of acting that way. Mm. You want to become a meditator and you meditate for 60 seconds and you do it just for that one minute, but you've done it like 10 of the last 12 days. Well, you turn around and you're like, hey, I have like 10 little votes for me being that person. I'm not trying to fake being a meditator. I actually have evidence of it. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why I think small habits are so useful is that even if they don't deliver the exact result you're looking for in the moment, even if you haven't doubled the income of your business overnight, or you haven't radically transformed your productivity with this one small habit, you are casting a vote for being that kind of person, for being an entrepreneur, for being productive, for being a finisher. And the more that you cast those votes, the more that you have something to root that identity in. So I think that's the useful answer to how do I change and be successful? Although there are other secondary um, things that influence. This so picture. there's, there's a difference. So, okay. Cause some people could be thinking this and I, I would even think this is like, okay, so I'll just do positive affirmations and you know, everything's going to work, you know, cause I'm saying like, you are, um, you know, like I, what's the millionaire mindset. Um, you say the affirmation, you know, um, you know, I have, I have a millionaire mindset. Like you touch your mm -hmm. head and you do the whole thing. And I, I get some of that, but then some of it's hard to wrap your head around. Cause you're like, it's kind of like that woo woo you right? It's like, Oh, if I think it, it's going to be, I look at it more as though, like, are you actually and kind of what you're saying, I think is like, you're, you're, you're proving to yourself on a small scale that you are actually doing that thing versus just writing down. I'm a meditator. I'm a meditator. I'm a meditator. You're actually doing the action, right? So doing the action. You're actually, you're, you're more believing in yourself because you're actually doing it, even if it is only for a minute. I had a coach in high school, basketball coach, who's told me confidence is just displayed ability. And his point was like, if you want to be confident as like a free throw shooter, then shoot free throws. And once you make 10 in a row, then you're going to be confident in your ability because you just did it. You just proved it to yourself. Exactly. I think that's a true form of confidence is knowing that you're good for it, knowing mm. that you do it, knowing that you've displayed that ability. And if you do that, even if it's in a small way with little habits, then you actually have real confidence. Not You're not just trying to to fake it or to repeat some incantation or, you know, convince yourself of it. Mm. Now I will add a, a side note here, which is that some of that stuff, uh, like, you know, I have a millionaire mindset kind of thing. I haven't read that book, so I'm not mm. familiar with that particular one, but my point is some of that is gets similar to visualization mm. and visualization can be useful. There are plenty of performers sure. that use it. Like Kevin Garnett famously would visualize how each game would go before he'd step out on the court. Mm -hmm. You'll hear from a lot of comedians who will visualize like what the performance is going to go like ahead of time. Sure. It's a useful tool in the toolbox. But the thing is that visualization and incantations and repeating affirmations like that are short-term strategies, not long-term ones. They mm -hmm. get you motivated in that moment, but it doesn't last because they don't provide evidence. The only way that it lasts is if you have evidence of being that kind of person, of having that type of confidence. You need to prove your ability. And that's why I think habits are the more sustainable way and the more reliable way to change how you view yourself in the long run. Because every time you do them, you develop evidence of being that kind of person. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the visualization for me, I look at it as it's a reminder of why you should get up and do your stuff, right? Like, it's like, oh, I want that. Like, and not even like physical things. Like, I want to be able to you know, work from home and have freedom. Like, so you see like a picture of you, like working in your home office. Like it's a reminder to me personally of, you know, what you're working towards or, and why you're working. It's just a reminder to take action in, in my book. 
versus it just being like, oh, I'm going to close my eyes and everything's going to happen just because it's going to magnetically be attracted to me. And some people would argue and they'd be like, no, that can happen. And I'm like, I don't know. I need some proof on that. But I think it, the other thing it does is it primes you to see opportunities in your environment. And mm-hmm. okay. it, we all have opportunity around us, but we, you can life, we could, each of us could be any one of a billion different things. Like right now I could choose to start doing push-ups, or I could jump or I could push my chair back or I could run down the stairs or I could mm-hmm. do, there's like literally an infinite number of options of things I could choose to do, but I only choose to do one of them, which in this case is sit here in front of the microphone and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that version, that one version of the billion options available to me is the life that I live. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes when you visualize or you imagine what you want to achieve, you clarify which of the billion opportunities you want to focus on. And so it becomes easier for you to take action in the next moment that moves you toward that thing. So it, yeah. it's almost like the law of attraction is like the wrong phrase for it. It should be called like the law of attention because yeah. the way that you, when you think about something, you allocate your attention toward it. And when right. you allocate your attention toward it, you're more likely to take advantage of that opportunity. Mm. Um, there's nothing magical about it. It doesn't like bring things to you. Right. It uh, clarifies which direction you should act in of the billion options that you have. Yeah, that, that's a good way of looking at it. And and I, I just want to go back to what you had said about you know, like giving yourself a vote or kind of like voting and how many votes. I love that part of the book, by the way, because it, it actually did make me see something differently. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. If you want to be you know, a neat person, make your bed. And then you're going to be like, oh, well, I was neat there. So maybe I should be neat here. And then you're starting to believe in that. Um, And it's like, you just have to create your own identity. Like, who do you want to be? And then just start having these small votes that say that is who you are because you're living it. Even if it's in the smallest way, you're, you're voting. Um, I I love that, that analogy when, when you, you put that into the book. I like the using the question, who is the type of person that could do X, Y, or Z? Um, you know, so it's like, all right, I want to build a million dollar business. Okay. Who is the type of person that could build a million dollar business? Like, what are they actually doing each day? And maybe you realize, oh, they're the type of person who is always running a split test on their website. And so you're like, okay, the way that I foster that identity then is I need to set up a split test. Like it helps scale it down to what the next action is Mm. rather than thinking so much about, oh, I just wish I had a million dollar business. Right. Um, Right. And, uh, so it, it like transfers it from being about the outcome or the result to being about the identity or the habit in the moment. And Mm. now, you know, okay, each time I set up a split test, I am in that small way reinforcing the identity of someone who has a successful business. Mm. Um, and so I, I like doing things like that. Um, same thing with like going to the gym, you know, a lot of times people will be like, okay, what I really want is to lose 40 pounds in six months, which is kind of the, you know, body or personal equivalent of, uh, build a successful business. Sure. But, um, the question to ask is who is the type of person that could lose weight? And then Mm. you're like, Oh, well maybe it's the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. And then you're, you shift your focus to, just making sure you show up and don't miss workouts, even if they don't get you the result you want right away, right? You're just mm-hmm. trying to foster that identity and be that kind of person. And then once you have that identity, once you're showing up at the gym every week, well, now you have options for expanding and improving. But I, I think the challenge is for people that, and including myself, I mean, I've done it. You, you, you do the work for a result. Like I, I'm going to the gym so I can build muscle. Mm. If I don't see the gains, 
or if I don't see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to shed my winter weight because I want to get slim for the winter or for the summer. And I, I bulked in the winter and, and I want to shred for the summer and then it's not coming off. So I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to do it then. It's just not working or, mm-hmm. you know, it's taking too long. How do you get through that type of stuff, whether that's losing weight or whether that's, I haven't seen, I've, I've went from, you know, I'm, I'm making a thousand bucks a month. I want to get to two, but I'm not getting there. I'm not seeing the gains. How right. do you push through that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, first of all, so, I mean, sometimes we should just say sometimes strategies are ineffective and that one of the challenges is knowing like, when do you stick with something or when do you move on? It's a big one. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, the answer to that, especially with business, I've noticed, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, uh, eight years now and, um, there's always some strategies that it's very rare to find a strategy that works forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to be willing to experiment and continue to try things new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I have a section in the book where I talk about the explore exploit trade-off. And I think that that applies pretty well here, which is the basic idea is in the beginning of any, uh, in the beginning of any process, project, building a business, your career, you can look at it on different time scales. Sure. There should be a broad range of exploration. Um, and so for me, I tried like three or four or five different business ideas over the first two years of my career as an entrepreneur. And most of them didn't go anywhere, but then eventually I figured one out that kind of worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I needed that period of exploration, but then after you explore for a little while, you need to start to exploit, uh, the best option that you found. Mm -hmm. Same thing can be true for any individual project. You know, early on you explore, explore, explore to try to figure out the best way to do this. But then as you get closer to the deadline, you need to shift your focus and start to exploit the best thing you found so you can actually get it done. Right. Um, and, uh, so that approach I think is useful for people who are dealing with, uh, some kind of sticking point in business, which is maybe that's a period where you need to explore a little bit more, but at some point you need to just shut up and stay focused on whatever's getting you the results and move forward. Right. And in most, uh, successful entrepreneurial cultures, um, there's some kind of combination of this, like Google, for example, famously has their 20% time model where every employee works 80% of their time on their actual job. And then they have 20% time where they can work on anything of their choice that excites Mm. them. And so, uh, that's kind of like 80% exploit what we know is going to work, what your role is 20% Mm. explore to see if you can figure something out. Mm. And that exploration time, Google AdWords came out of that. Gmail came out of that. Um, there've also also been some fantastic failures that came out of it, like Google buzz and Google wave both came Mm. came out of those. But the point is that exploration period is important. Um, so I think for people who have already gotten to $1,000 a month, they are succeeding to a, a certain degree. Like going from zero to 1,000 is not an easy thing to do. Right. And so you should probably spend, you know, let's say 70 or 80% of your time exploiting that and then maybe 20 to 30% of your time exploring a new option. Mm. Um, so that's the first piece. But the second piece is that when, uh, in many cases, especially when you're already getting some results, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit stronger at the gym, you're making $1,000 a month, um, a lot of the time you just need to shut up and put the reps in, uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I use this analogy in the book of heating up an ice cube. Mm. And so imagine you walk into a room, room's cold. It's like 25 degrees. You can see your breath ice cube sitting on the table. You heat it up 26 degrees, 27, 28, 29 ice cubes still sitting there 30, 31. And then you get to 32 degrees and it's this one degree shift, no different than all the other little one degree shifts that came before it but suddenly the ice cube melts. You hit this phase transition. Mm. And a lot of the time, the process of making progress is in a business or in life 
is a lot like that, where you, you're putting in work for weeks or months, and it's like these one degree shifts. It's like heating an ice cube from 25 to 31 degrees. Yeah. But that work was not being wasted. It was just being stored. Mm. And so you just need to continue to work until you get to that next phase transition. Yeah. And um, I, you know, coming off writing this book, Atomic Habits felt a lot like that for me. I mean, it took mm. three years from start to finish. And had I stopped at, say, one year and seven months, then I would have had that ice cube sitting at 28 degrees and I would have felt like, oh, I wasted all this time. It was so annoying, you know, mm. but I needed to keep going for another year to get to that phase transition and then release the potential, all that work that I had been building up. And so that's why in the book, I call it the plateau of latent potential, because mm. a lot of the time in, in uh, a business, you have all this potential energy that you've yeah. been building up. And if you quit too soon, you don't get to the point where you get to release it. So yeah. I think there's, you know, there's a balance there between exploring new things and putting in the reps. But um, a lot of the time, especially if you're already getting a little bit of results, you just need to keep putting in reps. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you're exactly right. It's a matter of like waiting to like, am I almost there? Like, I don't know. Like, it's hard to tell. Um, I, I love it that you're saying too, like, you got to explore, right? You have to explore, especially in the beginning. Like if you're coming from corporate world and you're getting into the online space, you're learning, right? Like you're oh, learning yeah. the landscape, you're learning, and you know, um, I'm curious. The first two years, I would say at least, I mean, and, and for many people, it's longer than that. Um, you know, mm. like that, I, you need a lot of exploration early on to see what you're really trying to find. It's kind of like a matching problem. You're mm. trying to find which uh, avenues in business overlap with your particular skill sets. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, sometimes you need to build new skills, but, uh, but there's also just like people are naturally inclined to certain areas. Um, mm. And uh, it takes a while to find that fit. You just, you have to explore broadly early on. Yeah. L let me ask you, let, let me go back. Let's, let's go back to those, those couple of years that you were exploring yourself. Sure. And then, and then you, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say stumbled, but you kind of started this blog and that's, that's to what it is now. Like, like what was it like getting to that point? But then when did you know that you wanted to go, you wanted to go deeper in, in this area? Were you seeing results? Were you seeing traffic? Were you seeing there was potential that like, where did it, where did it click for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think there are kind of two stages to this answer. So the, the first stage is before I was even writing consistently. The first stage was I just knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I tried a bunch of different stuff. Uh, the first company that I started was an iPhone app company. Um, and that basically just completely flopped. I think I spent like $1,500 on the first app and then put it up in the app store and it made like $17 in ad revenue. So uh, <laughs> like a $1,400 loss off the bat. Um, okay. And uh so anyway, there were just a lot of things like that. So I tried an app company. I tried this like... Um, uh, basically it was like, it was called puppypresent.com, but it was this, uh, breeders could list their puppies on it and you okay. could like, rent out time to pet them or play with them. Nice. Uh, and so I thought it was a good idea, but it went nowhere. Yeah. Um, and then I had a couple other blogs and websites that were like about small business marketing or freelancing and things like okay. that. And, um, anyway, my point is I tried these ideas over the first year or two and nothing was clicking. And I got a, a good piece of advice, I thought, from a friend who said, try things until something comes easily. Mm. And that idea of trying things until something came easily was something that I internalized and thought about a lot. Like, okay, I just need to keep exploring, keep mm. experimenting. And uh, it wasn't until I started jamesclear.com and started writing about habits that things finally clicked. I 
I was using all of these skills that I had built. Like I had to teach myself, you know, how to build a website and how to sure. code and how to launch an email yeah. list and all the stuff that everybody does early on. Sure. Um, and so when I started jamesclear.com, I at least knew how to do that stuff. And so mm. I was starting from zero, but I like knew what to do now. So that's right. some time. And then, uh, and then I started writing about it and it was just, it was like compared to the other stuff I had done, it was like a rocket ship. It was just obvious that like people were way more interested in this, more email mm. subscribers, more traffic, easier for me to pitch things to outside outlets or partners. Like, you mm. know, you're getting more yeses than nos. Um, and so in comparison to all these other things I had struggled on, that took off. And mm. so part of the reason I decided to focus on it was because the, the results were better. Mm. And then, so that's the first answer, the first part sure. of that answer. And then the second part is just that as I wrote, I paid attention to what the feedback was from the audience. And so mm. I gradually started early on, I wrote a lot about like strength training and health stuff and medicine, in addition to habits and performance. And all the habit stuff did better and better. And so I just gradually slid down the spectrum toward uh, those topics. So like when you started that, because I mean, there, there's people in my audience right now that, I mean, for us to really be competitive in any market, you really, to me, it's all about building out the brand and building out like, you know, content. So you're, you're attracting the right, you know, potential customer and then getting them in and creating that bond, the relationship. I mean, you know all about that. So, but for someone starting out, like even like yourself, like, was it crickets at first? Were you writing to like, you know, your mom and, and someone that was maybe casually, or did you po post something and it went viral and then that's how you got like the attention? Like what was the initial fire? Well, that like three minute summary that I just gave actually took like two years. So okay. um, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely I'm glad to hear that no. of, yeah, much longer. Um, yeah. The very first sale I made online, I was super excited about it. And then I checked and it was my dad. <laughs> and um, that's like, you know, incredibly sweet and supportive of him. Uh, yeah. But also I was like, well, I thought I actually had something <laughs> like nothing's actually working. Um, oh, that's great. So, uh, yeah, it definitely took a while. Um, I think early on and still now, uh, one of the big pieces of the puzzle is you need to get in front of eyeballs. You need exposure yeah. and attention. And yeah. so the way that you do that when you don't have any attention, when you don't have any traffic to your site yet, is you need to partner with people. And mm. so that's what I tried to do early on was partner with different outlets that did have readers. And then whether that was a guest post or an interview or something like that, use mm -hmm. that to drive traffic back. Gotcha. Um, and then now today, uh, you know, I partnered with Penguin to write this book and they helped me get distribution into, you know, 600 Barnes and Noble outlets and all that type. Of, and those are not eyeballs. Those are not um, people that I had access to or exposure mm. to, but now I do through this partnership. Mm. So it's the same strategy. You just kind of try to continue to upgrade those partnerships so that you're getting more and more reach, more and more exposure for your brand and your products and so on. Um, so early on I took whatever I could get and it was often minimal, but it, you know, I just focused on that. And, um, the other thing to, to add to this, it's hard. It's so hard in the beginning because there are um, you need to spend time building those relationships and partnerships. So that takes sure. time. Sure. It's easier to build those relationships if your work or your product is great. So mm. you need to spend time making something great because then that actually makes people want to work with you. Mm. So that takes time. And then there's this third cost that you don't have to, like, I don't have to worry that much about now, which is there are all these upfront things, these like one-time costs that you have to pay. Like, 
learning how to program and how to build a website and how to set up email forms and which ones convert and what copy am I going to put on this particular form or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, there's all these like one-time skills that once you know it, you know, are like, how do I set up an Amazon store? How do I set up fulfillment? How do I, you know, it's like all that stuff in the beginning, nobody knows. Right. And so you have this big bucket of the, of time that is happening there as well. So you kind of have three different things. You got partnerships and marketing, you have product and you have these upfront costs. And it's really hard early on until those upfront costs have all been paid and you actually Mm -hmm. know how the thing runs. Yeah. then you can siphon that time back toward building a great product and marketing better. Mm, no, I, I, I love that. I mean, I think like you said, I mean, building out the relationships um, and, and again, like, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like you've talked about like the habits, right? Like you showed up and probably wrote consistently, even though you're like the traffic is like not hundred percent there yet, but you kept that was showing the thing up. that set my business on a different path. I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday for three years. And that wow. was the, you know, and I take, my articles tend to be longer. It usually takes me about on the short end to be like eight to 10 hours, but usually the average article is probably like 15 to 20 hours. Um, wow. So two articles a week is, you know, there's your 30 or 40 hours. Like that's a full-time job there. And then you've got yeah. all the other stuff with the business. Where do you get inspiration to, to write? Um, it can come from anywhere. So like, you know, if there's something that we mentioned in this interview that sparks a thought, then I'll just dump a little short idea into Evernote after I get done. Gotcha. Um, and Evernote is kind of my central holding ground. Um, okay. So whether it's conversations with people or books I'm reading or an article I see online or a tweet, could be anything. Um, I dump it all in there. And then now I have like six or 800 different ideas that are just kind of sitting in there waiting. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, I don't do this as often as I should, but every now and then I go through that whole list and mm-hmm. I start to uh, look and say, all right, maybe I have like five ideas that are related to sleep habits. And I start to link them all into one bigger article that oh, okay. starting to get fleshed out. Mm. And most of the time, once it gets to that stage, what I'm waiting for before I publish is I'm waiting to find the right story. I need a mm. good story to kick the article off. And then uh, once I find a story that matches up with the, the main idea of the outline, then I can go ahead and write it up and, and get it out. Uh, awesome. So it's kind of a, I, I have a lot of work in process, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's like, keep it, uh, you know, keep that, that bucket, you know, full. So that way there, you can kind of pull from it when you want. So much easier for me to not start from a blank, blank page. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, all right. We're going to wrap up. What I did want to do though, is like, you have any like quick little, like if someone right now, if you were to say like, you know, and you've talked to a lot of successful people, like what are a couple things that you see that's been a common thread through like successful people and like some basic habits that they could at least kind of get them set in their life? So um, again, I'll give two answers. So quickly for the habits, um, I would say energy habits and focus habits. So energy habits would be things like making sure you get enough sleep each night, eight hours or so, uh, exercising consistently. It doesn't have to be lifting weights. Could be a daily walk. Could be you know yoga, hiking, rock climbing, kayaking, whatever. Whatever mm-hmm. works for you. Whatever you're interested in. Um, and uh, decent nutrition habits, make sure you're eating well. Those three, sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Every human has a body. That sounds like so basic, but if you don't keep your body running well, you can't show up to do your best work. So those three habits tend to be a common denominator. Um, And then, so those are energy habits. Then I would say focus habits. And this could include things like, um, this year I've started to keep my phone in another room until lunch each day. And so it just gives me like three to four hours in the morning where I get a focus block and I'm not distracted. I'm not responding to other people's agenda. I'm responding Mm. to mine. Um, 
So that's like a focus habit. Um, mm. And uh, things like that are, are helpful. Another one that I did uh, while I was writing the book, my assistant, every Monday, she would uh, log me out of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then reset all the passwords. And then I'd work all week. And then on Friday, she'd give them to me and I could nice. log in over the weekend. And then on Monday, we'd do it all over again. Oh, that's um, beautiful. So stuff like that uh, helps maintain focus. Um, and so focus habits and energy habits. And then um, the second part of the answer is more of an overall philosophy. But one of the key things that top performers do, and this is true, not just of individuals, but also of teams and organizations, is adhere to this philosophy that I'll call never miss twice. So, so often when people are trying to build a new habit, they get into this all or nothing mindset. You know, it's particularly true for like um, diets, but I've had it happen for me uh, with multiple things business related with like um, trying to implement a new profit plan or trying to implement like some kind of new sales strategy where it's like, all right, now we're going to do three sales calls a day or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you start to do this, you stick to the diet or you stick to the sales call plan and you do it for like four or five or six days. And then you turn around like your friends want to go to happy hour or you binge eat a pizza or right. your kid gets sick or something's crazy and you can't make your sales calls that day. Mm. And then like this self-talk starts and either it's like, Oh yeah, I knew it. I knew I wasn't going to be able to stick to the diet. So like, why bother? You know, I guess I, I guess I wasn't made out for, cut out for this. Mm. Um, or you just kind of forget and let it slide. But the difference between people who have that happen and the top performers is top performers never miss twice. They get back on track really quickly. So mm. maybe I, I wish I hadn't binge ate, but, never miss twice. So let me make sure the next meal, let me make sure breakfast is healthy in the morning. Mm. Or, you know, it's too bad that I wasn't able to make those sales calls yesterday, but never miss twice. So let me make sure I get back on track tomorrow. Mm. And the key insight here is that it's almost never the first mistake that ruins you. It's like the spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. You know, it's like, oh yeah, missing once is just a mistake, but missing twice or three times or four times. Now it's like the start of a new habit. And Mm. so you're really trying to cut that off at the source and make sure you get back on track as quickly as possible. So it's kind of like ditching this all or nothing mindset and realizing that if you can get back on the wagon quickly, then in the long run, those mistakes are just a blip on the radar. It doesn't mean anything. Um, Mm. You know, if you look back over the course of a year, but that's only true if you never miss twice and you start again quickly. Yeah. That that's a, that's huge because like you said, I see that a lot um, where people will, they'll get off, track and then be like, ah, screw it. I'm off track. I'm just going to go off track for the entire week. And then the entire week turns into two weeks and then a month. And then it's so much harder to get back because you feel like you lost all of what you already worked for. I've done that in the gym. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I was so consistent. And then all of a sudden I went off on vacation. I got back so hard to get back in. And I'm like, I just lost four weeks. You know how much harder it's going to get, you know, get back to where I was. And then you start playing that whole mental crap in your head. So yeah. yeah, I totally get it. I love that. Never miss twice. I love that. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I, I know you're super busy. How can people get a hold of the book? How can people get, uh, you know, learn, learn more about you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so if you want to just check out my writing, just feel free to go to jamesclear.com. Uh, if you click on articles, I've got them organized by different topics. So you can just poke around and see if it's interesting to you. Um, for the book, the, it's called Atomic Habits, and you can go to atomichabits.com. And on that page, I also have some like bonus materials. There's like a guide on how to apply the ideas to parenting, how to apply the ideas to business. Uh, There's a template for tracking your habits, some other stuff too. But anyway, all of that is at atomichabits.com. Awesome. 
Hey, James, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been awesome. And uh, hopefully uh, we will not see the the back of a baseball bat ever again in our face. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> not soft. Are you play softball at all? You doing no, any of that? No. I'll stay no? far away from bats for now. <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. All right. So there you have it. Another great interview. And I'm telling you what, like this stuff here never gets old to me. This to me is always something that we're going to be working on. How to develop these habits, how to get more clarity, how to get focus, you know, how to know that we're moving in the right direction. And uh, this book really does outline it. And this interview did a really, really good job of kind of highlighting some of those points that I found useful from the book. But I would definitely go out there and grab the book, jamesclear.com. You'll find it on his website. I definitely, definitely highly recommend that you check this out. This stuff is something that you're going to want to use now, but also continue to go back to um, time and time again, because life changes and, you know, our, our uh, you know, maybe our, uh, our goals change and we want to set up new habits around those. Um, just a really great interview. All right. So, and I want to thank James once again for doing that. So jamesclear.com, go check him out. And, uh, oh, one last thing I forgot. I want to make sure that I remind you just in case you skipped the beginning, which you shouldn't have. And if you did, shame on you. But uh, we are going to be closing TAS Breakthrough U um, on December 20th. Again, I've never opened this to the public this way. It's always been part of one of my uh, one of my trainings that you've paid between $1,000 and $1,500 for. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm giving you access to all of the trainings that are currently in there, plus the two monthly coaching calls and my private community and discounts on upcoming live event tickets. But I'm also going to be doing a brand new training that's going to be all about building your e-commerce business, not just launching on Amazon. That will be part of it. So Private Label Classroom has always been my flagship training. Um, This is going to take the place of that. And I don't even want to call it Private Label Classroom 2.0 because it's more than that. We're going to do it in two parts, two phases. We're going to build that part of the business, but then we're going to also build the brand part of the business and uh, and the content side and how to get all that traffic so this way we can build a really solid future-proof brand. So if you want to be part of that beta class that's going to be uh, started here very soon, then you're going to want to be part of TAS Breakthrough U before the doors close on the 20th. So head on over to theamazingseller.com forward slash training for the details. And uh, if you are going to be signing up later after we close, I will be opening up a beta class, which uh, you can become a part of, but I just want to let you know this training will retail for between $1,500 and $2,000. It's going to be a full-out training. It is going to have everything you will need to start your business, but then grow your business and build that brand, all right? So again, if you want to jump in and get that early access and not have to pay that, then head on over to theamazingseller.com forward slash training. All right. You can get all the details on over there. All right. So the show notes to this episode can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 605. And with that being said, guys, let's wrap this up. Remember, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud, take action. Have an awesome, amazing day. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode.